0: back to the Heartland Leadership Podcast, a podcast all about leadership and the way of Jesus. My name's Clint and we've got a treat for you today. We are continuing in our kind of ongoing HLP series where we take a look at the sermon series that we'll be doing on Sunday mornings. And we're kicking off, as you might know, we're in the midst of uh, a year long kind of overarching grand theme of the journey. We're taking a look at all of scripture and we're actually starting with the end revelation wow we're calling the series the end game and i have a special panel here to help me unpack this and kind of look a little bit beneath the surface than what you might get on a sunday morning so if you mind introducing yourself and what your role is at heartland
1: yeah my name's drew i serve as the campus pastor across town from here at our williams campus
0: revelation expert you'd say
1: i would not give myself that oh. accolade <laughs> okay but you do have a master of divinity so you're You've a master mastered.
2: scholar yeah I know a little bit about many things. Okay, all right, that's good. I'm Dave, I'm one of the pastors here at our Weymouth campus. And Clint, why are we starting at the end? Why are we starting in Revelation? Revelation's at the end of the Bible. It sure is. I thought you said we were gonna go through the whole Bible. We're, we're just we're gonna
0: hit all the sweet spots, but we chose to start with the end.
2: Why? Well, you
0: wrote the series, so I'm <laughs> tempted to kick it back to you. But if I had to shoot from the hip, um, it's because I mean, we get the kind of the grand finale the the theme of scripture of this great battle between good and evil comes to a climax with the the defeat of evil as what I, I would say is the main theme of revelation
2: yeah we want that's it, it, fun that's good we're gonna start with the end in mind that's mm. what we're like we want we want to know the why behind it all, start there starting with the end in mind, um, seeing where Jesus is in the midst of all of this. I think that's going to be a fun series. We're not going to do it in the way that most people expect to do Revelation. Mm-hmm. Everybody loves to study Revelation. Yes. Ever since I was like a youth pastor. That's when right. are we going to study Revelation? We want to <laughs> know when the world's going to end. You know, and w- one of the things we're going to say is Revelation is not about the end of the world. We're going
0: to print out a paper with six presidents on it. and Okay, circle the one that's the Antichrist. <laughs> no, it wasn't him. Okay.
1: Oh, man, let's do it. It it almost makes me think a little bit of how on occasion, if you see a movie that maybe the ending was particularly powerful to you or you didn't see it coming or it surprised you, you may actually go back and rewatch the movie because in light of that end, Hmm. now you're looking for certain things that might be said. You're looking for how do other characters or uh, folks who are involved in this unfolding drama um, live or act in such a way that connects to this climax. I've heard people say this about The Sixth Sense where you
0: discover a big fact. I'm sure this movie. happens
1: with many movies, but I do think there's something to that where absolutely. it maybe helps you appreciate some things. Have you not seen The Sixth Sense?
0: I have not actually, no.
2: Oh my <laughs> gosh, you need to watch that movie. Good point. I mean, that's afraid. such a great yeah. analogy. Like it, that's absolutely true. So it'll give us a different perspective as we approach some of the other genres of scripture.
1: Yeah, thank you. I learned that when I was pursuing my Masters of Divinity. I
2: thought you did. <laughs> You're such a theological scholar, Andrew.
0: Uh, Well, yeah, let's just kind of unpack some of the themes that we'll be discussing in the series. So the first, the first big idea will be revelation isn't about the end of the world. It's about the end of evil in the world. Yeah. that's. We've kind of been batting this around, but like the hugely popular Hmm. left behind series of books and movies, uh, has kind of shaped evangelical and even broader american culture of what do, what do these christians think is going to happen one day and there is this whole kind of like detailed saga of there's this tribulation and people are getting raptured and antichrist will rise to power and it's a time when like the the devil will kind of rule on this earth. it's just there's so there's a lot of moving parts is that a lot of people would say that's the main thing about revelation and trying to
1: Well, one thing that's interesting to me about that is that's sort of what I grew up in. Um, I went to a a small private Christian school, and while Left Behind books were not in our curriculum, uh, these books were continuing to come out during my childhood. And one thing that, you know, they didn't tell us then, or I don't remember being on the back cover, I didn't really get into the Left Behind books, is that this school of thought in particular that Left Behind is kind of, imagining how could this all take place, what could this look like, is really only 150 years old in its most recent iteration that's gained popularity in America, which is kind of interesting when you think about how sometimes that view with all these different pieces and the saga um, can be taught in such a definite certain way Then to realize, oh, that's not necessarily how it's always been in all places across the globe where Christians are reading scripture and thinking about these things. Such a good point. I
2: think we like to be as USA Americans in control of things and so even this we like to be in control of how it's going to end. We like to figure that out and have it all sealed up in our minds and I think it's the absolute wrong way to read the book of Revelation. Revelation was written to a specific audience at a specific time through a man named John who was exiled on an island of Patmos, who was writing in code because he didn't want to die, and it does have application in our life, and it is about the end of evil in the world. So how can we apply this to our life today? I think it's absolutely worth studying. We're gonna actually watch
1: a clip from Left Behind. At least at the Weymouth campus we are. At least at the Weymouth campus, okay.
2: That's good, that's good. I I grew up in a very similar way, Drew, like, You know, taught a class when I was an intern at one of my churches on exactly how the timeline of the end was going to go. And there's seven years of tribulation, but at three and a half years, everything changes. You guys are very familiar with this to the point where, do I have time to just tell a quick story? Yeah, please do. When I was in college, uh, we played, maybe I've told you this before, we played a joke. On uh, one of the guys in our dorm room, like we we totally set this guy up. We were up like late into the night. Theological geeks were talking all about how Revelation ends, how the rapture could happen at any time. Well, one of our buddies has this big trumpet, and so in the like in the middle of the night, after the one guy went to sleep, we went into the bathroom, which is kind of like a shared bathroom for our for our dorm and um, we laid our clothes in piles right in front of the sink. We had the water running. We left it, we turned a hair dryer on, so it looked like bodies had just disappeared. The shower was still running. And then we all got outside the the dorm, and my friend took the trumpet and went, You know, and a guy he, he wakes up and he comes running total setup and he looks as he goes back to the bathroom <laughs> and he, he told us later, he's like for a split second, I thought I had been left behind. And it was such <laughs> it was such a great deal, you know. But that's how some people yeah. interpret the book of Revelation. They say, nope, we need to take it literally, this is what it says, this is what's gonna happen, we can tell you the time and in my opinion, it really is about I wanna be in control of this. And guys, like the first thing you have to learn is we are so not in control of any of and this. If I'm
0: not mistaken Correct Me if I'm wrong, masters of divinity. Um, the rapture claim is not a, a revelation text, it's mostly right, it's from Thessalonians. First Thessalonians, yeah. if I might just read it, oh, just sure. so people that this isn't, this isn't something that happens in Revelation. Some systematic theologian has found this in Thessalonians and is like, oh, well, then it must happen here in Revelation. So, here's according to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive who are left until the coming of the Lord will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. Oh boy. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever.
2: Wow. Read at many funerals, mm. yeah i, I mean as this as this way of trying to give people hope, mm. you know um
1: and combining that with the book of Revelation makes for an yeah. interesting interpretation I think there's a few things you're touching on that are interesting. One is that, in its own way, the book of Revelation does deal with how we might wrestle with these issues of control just in a very different way than many of us might think. Um, kind of settling that control issue once and for all by showing us who is in control rather than giving us the exact timeline necessarily. I also think it's worth noting that this type of literature that we find in the book of Revelation or the apocalypse of Revelation, these are a similar word here, um, is apocalyptic literature. It's not one we are used to reading. We haven't really generally been trained to read this very style. And so even that puts some distance. And then finally, uh, I I remember hearing this a few years ago, and and there's different old uh, theologians and teachers from the church you can go read who who are talking about these events and they've plotted it out in their day and age. And so there's this idea that every generation of Christians has believed or some have believed that they're living in the end times, which I think is just helpful to keep in mind because the danger, I think, is if we're overly fixated on trying to plot out these things and mapping everything out. And that's where we're starting to put our trust because we've got this figured out in the control that's probably not yeah. most helpful for living our daily lives. And there's
0: something like to give the benefit of the doubt. Like, there is something like some piece of reasoning there that's sound where like it's more likely to be us than those guys back then. Oh yeah. yeah. They're dead now. Like, and I don't think it was wrong for we're them. We're at the spear's tip of history. You know? And I don't like,
1: think it was wrong for them. I, th- I think there is something very mysterious that has in kind of invited us to try to think about these things. But just to say, I think a humility that might be there yeah. when we look at that we're not the first. I was
0: incredibly excited and I liked the idea of this whole story. I thought just like it made life seem a little more grand and adventurous, that there's some thing that can go on. I actually thought like, oh, I kind of want to not be raptured so that I could be one of the chosen in the tribulation a like read, uh, lead the rebel Brigade or whatever
2: I just remember like being taught you know Jesus could come back at any time which which I believe even today and I just remember praying like on my wedding day Jesus please don't come back today like come back tomorrow's fine but like
1: give me tonight and and depending on the and depending on the church you grew up in, that might sound very familiar Or you maybe didn't grow up in church or a different kind of church. That might sound crazy, but Dave's not the only one here because there are many churches in particular for a certain period of years where this type of thinking dominated the teaching. Well, you mentioned this before, apocalyptic
2: literature. So when I was growing up, there was this movie called Apocalypse Now. And the apocalyptic word just means a revealing or an unveiling, you know? And so that's what John was trying to do. And... When you look at it in his context, he was trying to unveil it for the people in the church who were being persecuted mm-hmm. at that time. John was being persecuted. He was banished to an island of Patmos where he had to try to survive in open ground. Many of the prisoners died just because of exposure, you know, or the lack of food. And so that, like, we, we can't forget that this had real... Um, there was a context that he was writing to, it was written with so much symbolism so that he didn't kind of get caught or called out or killed by the powers that be, and there's some people today who still avoid reading it because they say, oh, I, could, I just can't understand Revelation, I'm not even going to dive into it. No, like dive into it, there's a, there's a blessing there when you dive into it, like read it, try to understand
1: it, that's, I think that's what Jesus would want us to do. I don't want to steal your questions, but but I'm curious. When you just alluded to that, and maybe we need to save this a few minutes. But what you know, what would you say some of that blessing is? What what does that look like in your life um, as you grew up with one view and hearing, and even teaching apparently one view, and now coming to a different place? Yeah,
2: you know, so that's what I mean by theology is something that I continue to do, not something that's ever done, at least in my life. Like I don't, I don't have God figured out. I continue to learn about God, and my beliefs have changed and continue to morph through the years and i think back then um when i was teaching that as an intern when i was learning those things uh it was mostly motivated by fear like there was a lot of fear uh, behind it for whatever reason and i was younger probably more immature um, now as i understand scripture and read especially through revelation there's hope And so for me, that's one of the the practical ways that, and one of the things that it does for me is it provides me with a hope. Like Dave, you don't have to be in control. You don't have to have it all figured out and you don't have to fear death. Because I'm already there, you know. I'm. I'm the. One, Jesus is saying I'm the one who's going to give you hope, who's going to offer that to you. So it might just be because I'm 53 and I'm closer to death now than I was before. But there, there is a more hopeful understanding of the scripture for me. Is
1: that kind of what you were asking? Yeah, I think so. And I think for me, I'm trying to think about that because, just to be honest, I don't. Get thrilled about reading the Book of Revelation. I've I've done a little study in the past couple of years. For many years, I did kind of say I'm going to leave that alone. I can very yeah. much relate to being that 13 year old, being like, "Oh, youth pastor, will you please teach us about this?" Because <laughs> yeah, right. I wanted, you know, to know the secrets. Yeah. Um, but I think for me, the thing that's stuck out and and has has been a bit of a blessing, I guess, for me is I really think that Revelation. Properly understood, is supposed to move us to worship. Mm, yeah, um, good. it is exalting Revelation per- four, man. Yeah, yeah. I guess it, I, I, I guess I don't know. Well, that's the whole holy, right. holy, holy. Yeah. but it is the exalting throne. the the Lamb who was slain, yep. who now you know is taking his place, and he right. can open the scroll, and you know, and all these things, and uh and so. There being a practical application that goes beyond plotting That's so out good, the timeline, Drew. if yeah. that makes sense. And, you know, there's
2: another there's another practical application. I believe Tony is going to be preaching on it um, here at Weymouth, uh, this part of the series. But when he addresses the churches, when John writes letters to the churches, like I really do believe that has practical application for Heartland Community Church today. Like what does that look like for us? What was What were those words that John was writing to the church back then? How does that apply and what does that mean for us today? So I'm excited uh, to see how the Spirit's going to work through this. I think, I hate to say this on a podcast, I think most people will leave disappointed because they will want us to to take the traditional approach. They, they, a lot of people like to hear that. Um, when's the timeline coming, when's Jesus, like, aren't you going to tell us when he's coming back and when the world's going to, like, we're not, that's not what Revelation's about, we're not going there. So when I say I think people will be disappointed, that's kind of what I, I mean. so,
0: like, just to give some voice to that disappointment, I'm with you, I get, like, and there's this whole story to be told that you just briefly mentioned about, there's this whole view you could take of the whole book of Revelation, of John, in this prophetic, check out the next podcast on the series on the prophetic books, but the speaking truth to power in this coded kind of a mysterious right. way. Fine, I, I I get that. But then I get to these certain parts of the of book of Revelation and boy, oh boy, it just seems like they're talking about the future. Like the the judgment of Satan. Yes. Lake of fire thing. Right. Like new heaven, new earth. Yeah. Isn't that all out in the, pa- in the future? Like how can you possibly say that that was something that already happened in the first century, like and if so, like what
1: were what was he talking about then? New heaven, new earth. Go ahead if you wanna well this is my take on it. I didn't write this series, but I think we're being a bit provocative with our with our kind of series big idea that revelation isn't about the end of the words world, it's about the end of evil in the world. I do think I do think at least in my studies that there are some parts of revelation that there's a fair fairly good reason to be confident this is looking forward. Um, I think especially if you look at Revelation 19 to 21, in particular. That's what I'm thinking. That about. seems to have a very um, future dimension of it. And and so, uh, in my mind, like that's where we're being a little bit, you know, we're poking a little bit with that big idea, because I, I do think, at least for me, there is something there.
2: This view that you mentioned before, Clint, there's this whole view, It's, it's I believe it's understood as the preterist view of Revelation. Um, that there's practical application in the time John was writing and i don't think that mm. excludes mm-hmm. the idea that the spirit could have worked through John to foretell the future we talk about that in our um, you know when we talk about prophecy so did the spirit speak to John about things to come yeah i absolutely think so well, and, and i and don't clearly like
0: the ch- the letters to the churches are are kind of like backward looking he's you've lost your first love i think laodicea right so Something b- in the past, like you lost this and it's an exhortation to return to it. And then, yeah, I think the average reader, if you were just to read it at face value, you'd hit some point, call it ch- chapter 19, call it chapter 5. Uh, like, oh, well, now it's about the future or something.
1: But that, but and now th- the
0: preterists come along and say, well, he's speaking to the, the emperor of Rome at the time. And, and you can we can all work around that. And then you get to this 19 through 21 and so much of people's theology hang on these three chapters and like the damned go to the lake of fire and the the righteous you know and jesus go to heaven this new heaven new earth yeah i mean
2: and john brings back this image of the garden you know yeah uh, especially in 2021 he, he it's almost like he's tying a bow around the entire Scripture. We start in the garden in this incredible place of blessing where God wants to live with his people. Um, we we sin and we're banished from the garden. But then back in Revelation 20 21, God is with his people. We don't even need a temple, like, God is right there with us. And we're back, at, there's images of the garden, but there's images of a city. Uh, I am not by any means claiming it's easy to understand or it all talks about the past. I do believe there's some future looking there. Can we completely get our arms around it? No, but I do think the big idea is like it, God is in the business of restoring this world. Like mm-hmm. that's what he has in mind. He's not He's not interested
1: in destroying the world and throwing it away. He's interested in redeeming and restoring it. And, and that to me is one of the other pieces that's that can get very practical when you think about that because whether it was uh you know pop folklore just the culture i grew up in i did have more of this view growing up of this earth is going to burn and be destroyed Um, and certainly there are very bright scholars who try to take the bible very seriously who have that view but i also think you know just personally i've arrived at more of a view where it is it is the new heaven coming to earth which we sort of see foreshadowed in jesus as heaven comes to earth but what implications and we, you know we might not even agree among the three of us but what implications does that have about how we treat this earth that's
2: right you know is it just it's all yep.
1: going to burn and so <laughs> do whatever you want to it or is there some sort of creation stewardship where right. although we will never fully bring in that restoration unless you take a certain view of how that works, um, can we sort of take a small part in that restorative work in the way we steward this earth, in the way we treat it?
2: And in taking a small part of that restorative work, we're preparing ourselves for this eternal
1: kingdom, which will be restorative. Like that, That to me, that's the point. Yep. I think, I think like some of the other words that come to my mind are like beauty and order and flourishing, just like there seems to be some order and some, some just innate beauty, creativity, life to the garden that we see in the beginning of the Genesis narrative. Now we see the return of that. And I think even the city imagery gives us a little bit of that.
2: Yeah, and what we talk about here a lot, um, you know, at, at Heartland is this idea of original blessing, how the gospel really started in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, God wanting to live with his people, bless his people, love his people. And now we we come back to that again. You know, we see it fulfilled, you might say, in the final chapters of Revelation. And there's a whole lot in between that I don't know if I'll ever understand. You know, and and I think that's okay. I think one day we'll see it. We'll understand. I don't know if I'll ever get there while I'm here on this earth.
0: And I like all that you were doing there, like thinking creatively about how to understand those passages and just to reply to this person who might be wondering like 19 through 21 seems like the future and the past. Well, I mean, you could almost just close your eyes and point to a passage anywhere in Revelation in, the, in those middle chapters. And it's so w- weird and mystical and hard to understand. And like beasts with 10 horns and pouring out their bowls on the sun yep. and the river Euphrates and turning to blood and all this. So all of that, is typically given some kind of metaphorical meaning, but then all of a sudden when it comes to chapter 19, now it's all literal and there's an actual lake of fire and, and here's the sequence. So we just got to be careful of our, yeah. like use a good hermeneutic Yes, that like you have to give a reason for why you would suddenly switch gears. And the actual truth is that typically the gear is just switched. 'Cause that's what you grew up and learning. You were embedded in this theology. Well, that's what
1: we'd like it to say sometimes. Right. Sometimes that's what people And you know. I think I think for me one of the biggest uh, hopes I would have from the series, and I hope that those of us who communicate uh, as a part of the teaching in this series do this well is is like this is something to be held with humility. And what I what I really get frustrated by Um, I'm sure I have this issue with another area of theology, just maybe not in this one, is when folks will come in so strong with their particular understanding of revelation, which is usually just what someone gave to them, um, and start saying things about other believers, other followers of Jesus in a very disparaging way Mm -hmm. who don't hold to that view. I mean, there's no way that's honoring to Jesus in the slightest. And then, again, situate yourself in the last 2,000 years of reading this apocalypse of John. Recognize how different our social location is from John's original recipients. I mean, if you're if you're reading it here in Medina, Ohio in 2022, I can think of very few social situations that are more different than John's audiences. I don't know if we have to beat ourselves up about that, but can we hold these things well, just with a well, little bit of grace and And humility? it's a really
0: dangerous, I almost write <laughs> I don't know. I am in two minds about recommending people read it, because the temptation, if you don't have, and I'm not saying I do necessarily, but if you don't have the character to sit with that passage, it just lends itself to the pharisaical and ethically lazy person, to like when they read about the mark of the beast, then they can point to all the different people that have Venmo or something, well that's the mark of the beast, you're participating in the consumerist, and I'm not going to do that, I don't do that, and over the years people have pointed to different little external things well,
2: that happens here on a regular basis that like mark even you
0: out as evil but yeah. I'm gonna refrain cuz I'm good whereas actually what if you just read it like in some kind of more mystical reading like well in what ways are do you have marks of the beast on you right now and how you're a t- total jerk to your wife or your kids or your coworkers? Like, you have a mark of the beast, man. Just I mean, I had
2: a few that. weeks ago, somebody approached me and asked me, you know, all about the vaccine. And, oh, you know, yeah. this is the end times. I can see it and people getting this vaccine. And I'm like, wow. So their mind went right to revelation. Yep. And this has practical application. Absolutely. And I just, you know, it was in the lobby and I, I didn't want to get into it right before the service. But it's like, wow. I think your hermeneutical understanding of revelation is way off you
1: know it's always
0: tied to something external that's not like too tricky to just avoid yeah. than real life chains and transformation
1: well, I think just broadly speaking what what I think you're saying is you know our fascination with deciphering this really tricky scripture uh it it's it cannot be disconnected from the overall commitment we have as disciples of Jesus. It's not like, well, now I get to be a jerk because I read it right, or, mm. you know, I missed the mark, you know, because I know what the mark is. To your point, like, there's a lot that Christ has willed that we need to be sensitive to through the Spirit. Are we, are we being obedient? You know, what are we allowing to pop up in our life, even if we are or because we are fascinated so much by these symbols. It's
2: funny you bring up Jesus with this because my mind went to uh, like Matthew 24, 25 when he talks about, you know, there'll be, a woman grinding at the stone, and all of a sudden she's gone, and a thief in the night, and some of this. In, in, in the same way, some people apply that scripture yes. back to the end times. And What was Jesus you know, trying to say there? What did he mean by that? How does it apply to us today? Those are some interesting things to think about. Could I, here's an even more interesting thing, let's say there is a real rapture. Could I have fellowship with another Christian who believes in a real rapture? Yeah, I, I, like, that's not a deal breaker for me, and I could have fellowship with somebody who doesn't believe. Like, it's not my mm-hmm. my core foundation of beliefs. Like, there's a whole lot of people who love Jesus and are good Christians who believe differently about many aspects of the Book of Revelation, and if we all honor one another in that process, maybe we could all learn a little bit
1: more about the Book of Revelation, about ourselves, about. You know how this whole thing ends, and and hopefully this is not your experience. If Heartland's your church home, but you know some of us, like I, I can remember being in communities um, centered on Jesus, where the way you kind of moved up the pecking order was how much information you knew or you were certain you knew about the Bible. And so in a setting like that, well, my relationship with someone else within this community might be a little bit of a. We don't say it, but it's a little bit of a competition. You know, who's kind of got the leg up on each other with what do you know? Hmm. But if you think about it, uh, if, and I think he is, if Jesus is deeply concerned with how we live our lives each and every day as a participation in his kingdom, as citizens of his kingdom. Man, we we should have a lot more important things to talk about with each yeah, other right. in our conversations than hey, are you are you a pre-millennial post-millennial guy? You know? Yeah. Uh not that we can't talk about those things, but if that's what we're coming back to over and over again, are we emphasizing the right thing?
2: Well, I just think theologically, the theological geeks, they they use those labels and then, you know, once they find out what you what you are, pre-trib, post-trib, you know, whatever, then it's like whether they avoid you or have less respect for you or more respect for you, I just think it's all wrong because it's the wrong motivation. Like shouldn't love be the motivation? Us learning to love one another, strive for unity together, learn from one another. And I think so many times it's pride Mm. that's
1: motivating people. Um, And, And the other thing I sometimes hear when that happens is when you realize there's a disagreement or someone realizes there's a disagreement, it can be, well, you don't take the Bible seriously. Oh, right. That's and just on one. that topic, like there might be someone, you know, here uh, as a part of this church family who as Dave's preaching, you know, in a couple of weeks is like, man, I've looked at this stuff. And I care about it, and I think Dave's wrong. Yeah, It doesn't mean you didn't take the Bible seriously. It doesn't mean Dave didn't take the right. Bible seriously. And so, again, that's that humility piece where we have to be just really careful with what are the implications right. we draw from my disagreement potentially yeah. with someone Paul else even here. talks
2: about that in, uh, I think it's Acts 11, where he talks about the Bereans and how they— dug into the scriptures. They didn't just take for granted what Paul was teaching. They dug into it for themselves, and they wanted to learn. And I, I, man, I'm probably wrong about a lot of things. I would hope that our congregation digs into it. I hope that there's people who think differently than I do, because that I helps sharpen if someone
0: in, in, like, good faith le- reached out to us on staff, had done their homework, and looked at the scriptures, and like, hey, I thought something you said on Sunday, like, I don't agree with that, and here's why. Yeah. I'd love to have that conversation, and and as iron sharpens iron, you know,
2: I do have that conversation pretty regularly and I like it when we're trying to sharpen each other yes. and not try to demean one another or put, put someone in their place, Draw right? lines, I mean, right. yeah. yeah, you know, face each other on different teams, right? To me, no. the, the kingdom is so big. Like it's not just going to be Baptists or Catholics or Presbyterians that end up worshiping Jesus before the throne. It's going to be all of us from all different nations, all different tribes and tongues. And can every knee I, shall bow, if you will. What?
0: Every knee shall bow.
2: Well, right. And so, what what does that look like? If I'm next to somebody who's a charismatic or a Catholic or, God forbid, they're they're Muslim uh, in their label, but they really follow Jesus, like. I don't know. My mind doesn't have a place for that. Is it
1: possible? Yeah, it's possible because Jesus is on the throne, not me. I heard this uh, statement a couple of months ago that really struck me kind of about what you're saying about there will be a day where, you know, gathered around the throne, we will, we will see these different people. We will see him as he really is. Uh, and I heard someone say, you know, when we see Jesus face to face, that will be the ultimate deconstruction. Because there will be something, almost surely, in every single Uh, one of us where we realize, oh man, I was holding so tightly to this. Yes. Mm. Uh, And you know what? I was wrong. And that doesn't mean we shouldn't study and learn and believe
2: and dig in like we should. But we also have to hold it, like you're saying, with humility, loosely, knowing that one day, I love what you just said, it'll all be deconstructed by Jesus.
1: To, to me, the picture is, and I hope this is true throughout this year-long journey, that as we dig in, as we submit to the Spirit, as we listen to each other, as we take this seriously, uh, that we will grow in both our conviction about what we do believe and our humility. I don't think those things are at odds. I think that's what maturity looks like.
2: I, I picture, and maybe it's just me, but I picture Jesus like sitting on a couch next to me one day, putting his arm around just saying, Oh, Dave, you know, like you, you cared so deeply about all those things. And here's the only thing I needed you to care about, you know, just simplifying it, focusing me. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that day. Um, who knows when it's going to come right i guess we'll find out throughout this series as we study it or only the father knows only the father knows that's a good question does jesus even know when he's returning hmm that's a little One. teaser
0: mm-hmm. yeah okay we'll leave <laughs> it at that a lot of ways to go from there but yes uh well thank you for watching another episode of the heartland leadership podcast we've got a whole back catalog i'd encourage you to check out if you're watching on YouTube, of course, this is on all the other podcast providers. So you can get it on your smartphone, listen to it in the car. And likewise, if you're watching in the, or listening in the car, subscribe to the Heartland Community Church YouTube channel. Then you can see our beautiful va- faces along with our beautiful voices. I have
2: a face for radio. Oh, That's what I've been okay. told.
0: <laughs> well, thanks, and we'll see you next time. Take care.